Well, I invite you to bow your heads and pray together with me. Lord God, I pray that the words I'm about to speak and the thoughts that we think is together, we meditate on your word for us, your will for our lives. Lord, I pray that that would be truly acceptable in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer, the source of the forgiveness of sins and grace that we have in our lives. Amen. So once again, during this season of Lent, leading up to Holy Week and Easter next weekend, we have been studying some Old Testament things, whether it's stories or like on Wednesday night we looked at the tabernacle, just different things in the Old Testament that help us understand who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And today we want to talk about the Day of Atonement. It's often called Yom Kippur. Jews still celebrate it today, and they celebrate it. Uh, in, in October, so I think this year it's actually October 9th, is Yom Kippur. Now, it in Jesus' day was called the Sabbath of Sabbaths. In other words, it was like the most important holiday of the year for the Jewish people. And we find the roots of it back in the book of Leviticus, uh, a holiday they were told to celebrate together and describe there. And I want to look at a couple aspects in a little more detail with you today. First of all, they were told on Yom Kippur, we're told in uh, Leviticus 16, verse 7, that, that the high priest was to take two goats, and he was to set them before the Lord at the entrance, originally to the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and then eventually in the temple itself, once it had been built there in Jerusalem. And he was to, to put the, the, these two goats before the entrance, and they were to cast lots over the two goats and choose one of them to be for the Lord and one of them to be the scapegoat. Now, the one that was to be for the Lord, we're told in, um, in verse 15, they shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and sprinkle the blood on the altar. So the first goat that was chosen, the one for the Lord, was sacrificed and its blood was placed on the altar in the tent of meeting or in the, in the temple. But the other goat, listen to what it says is to happen with that one. When he has made an end of the uh, atoning for the holy place, Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and shall confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel, all their transgressions, all their sins. So earlier in the service today, we did a confession of sins. We confessed our personal sins and uh, we heard that we were forgiven. But this is a little different than that. Once a year... The, the high priest places his hands on the head of this second goat, the one that was alive, and he basically he lays all the sins of all the people symbolically on the head of this goat. And then it says, um, and he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. In other words, while this is happening, there's a guy who's ready, and as soon as he's done, this guy takes the goat, and it says, the um, the guy takes it out into the wilderness and it says, the goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. So, so the sins of all the people are confessed onto the head of this goat and then it's led off into the wilderness taking away their sins for another year. Kind of a, a cool thing, right? A, a neat symbol for them to do once a year. Now, we actually know a little bit more about how they were celebrating this holiday in Jesus' day. There's this uh, book called the Talmud, which is a Jewish, an ancient Jewish writing. And in the Talmud, it tells us more about what they would do on the Day of Atonement. First of all, it tells us, remember how there were two goats and they had to pick one to be sacrificed and one to be the scapegoat? It tells us exactly how they did that. They had a box 
And in that box, there were white and black stones in equal number, and the priest would reach his hand into this box, and then not being able to see, he would pull out a stone, and if he pulled out a white stone over that first goat, it became the goat that was sacrificed. And if he pulled out a black stone, then that became the scapegoat that was led away out into the wilderness, okay? Here's another thing we're told. He would take a red ribbon made of wool, and, uh, and so this was a, a, red, a, a wool, a white wool ribbon that had been dyed red, and whichever one of those goats was going to be the scapegoat, he would wrap that white ribbon around its horns so they knew which one it was, and then after he had confessed the sins of the people on that, he would take the ribbon off, it would be led into the wilderness, and they were, were told they would hang that ribbon at the entrance to the tent of the meeting or later to the temple. And then we're told in this Babylonian Talmud that a miracle would take place as that goat was led off into the wilderness with their sins, that red ribbon would turn white. And it was a symbol that their sins had been forgiven. And in fact, they based this on a reading from Isaiah chapter 1 that said, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as so. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. And God provided a beautiful image for us about white as snow means this morning as you came to church, right, didn't he? Okay. But, the, but so, so that was the symbol of this, this ribbon that was red turning white then there in the entrance to the tent of meeting. Now, interestingly enough, the Talmud also tells us something. It says this. The rabbis taught that 40 years prior to the destruction of the temple, the white lot did not come up in the hand of the high priest's right hand, nor did the tongue of scarlet wool become white. So in other words, what it tells us is, starting 40 years before the temple was destroyed and going on for 40 years, every time the priest reached into the box, he pulled out a black stone for 40 years in a row. Now, I, I'm not a good mathematician, but I bet you those of you that are could tell me the odds against that. It's pretty remote. So in other words, something miraculous was happening that every year, for 40 years, he'd pull out a black stone over that first, scape, that first goat. It became the scapegoat. And second of all, we're told that that red ribbon that would turn white, all of a sudden, 40 years before the destruction of the temple, stopped turning white. It just stayed red. In fact, in another part of the Talmud, it says that they, were, they, they couldn't figure out what to make of this, and so they eventually stopped hanging it into the entrance. Uh, they, they hung it inside where no one could see that it wasn't turning white anymore because they, they couldn't figure out what to make of this, that the miracle wasn't happening anymore. Well, let's, let's do a little math here. Let's, let's do a little investigating because we know that the temple, this is the second temple, the one that was built by, uh, under Nehemiah and Ezra and then eventually rebuilt by King Herod, we know that that temple was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD, okay? So we can do the math. We can go back 40 years. I can do this math, okay? 70 minus 40 is 30. That means in 30 AD, that's when the red ribbon stopped turning white and when he started drawing out a black stone every year, okay? Now, we know a few other things about this time period because Jesus, in John chapter 2, uh, is talking about his own body. He says, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. But they're confused. They think he's talking about the temple itself. And they say, it's taken us 46 years to build this temple. So we know that in, in, this was the first year of Jesus' ministry. 
Um, so that we know at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the temple had been in construction for 46 years. Now, we also know when that was. We know that in 18 BC, Herod began rebuilding the temple. And so, again, if you do the math, that means that when Jesus says these words, it's in 28 AD. So the beginning of Jesus' ministry, 28 AD. How long was Jesus' ministry? It was 28 29, 30 A.D. In other words, Jesus died on the cross in 30 A.D., which means Jesus died on the cross in the exact same year that later that year when they did the, the, the Feast of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the red ribbon stopped turning white. It's not a coincidence, is it? It's not a coincidence at all. In fact, what God was trying to tell them is, you don't have to do this Day of Atonement thing anymore. You don't have to put your sins on the head of the goat anymore and lead it off into the wilderness because Jesus has already taken care of your sins. It's done. That's over. There's a few more interesting things. Here's another thing we know about the Day of Atonement celebration. We know the route that they would take with that goat as it was led off into the wilderness. It, uh, it started at the eastern gate and then went through the Kidron Valley over a little bridge that went over the Kidron Valley and then up the Mount of Olives and out into the wilderness. Now, by the way, this is Palm Sunday. What route did Jesus take when he came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday? The exact same route, only backwards. Jesus comes down the Mount of Olives, across the bridge over the Kidron Valley, and up through the east gate into the temple, the exact same route that they would use every year for the Day of Atonement. There's one more thing. When they would gather along that route, they would chant something, the people. As the goat was being led with their sins off into the wilderness, they would chant, away with him, away with him, away with him. Do you remember what the people chanted? When Pilate brought Jesus out before him and said, behold your king, and they chanted, away with him, away with him, away with him, exactly what they would say for the scapegoat. Folks, there are just so many connections in this story. Here's one more. Remember how there were two goats to choose from? Well, Pilate brings out Barabbas and Jesus, and he says, pick one, and they pick Barabbas and to be set free, and Jesus is the one that goes to the cross. And every year after that, the black stone comes out of the box as if God is telling them, look, you already made your choice. You don't have to keep doing it every year. It's been done. Folks, as we study this story, there are just so many ways in which it is so clear that the Day of Atonement was a symbol. It was a way of pointing them to a greater reality that was going to come. And Jesus is that greater reality. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He becomes the scapegoat for you and for me. Our sins are placed on him, and he carries them away. Scripture backs this up. In Isaiah 53, it says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul puts it this way. God made him who knew no sin become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Martin Luther called this the great exchange. In Jesus' death on the cross, he takes my sinful life and it is placed upon him, all of it. Every sin I will ever commit is there with Jesus on the cross. 
And in return, his perfect life is given to me. So when God looks at you and me today, he does not see our sin. He sees only our Savior. He sees only the perfect life of Jesus. One more, the psalm that we used earlier in the service today. Psalm 103 says this, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Our sins are gone. There's one more little detail we know about the Day of Atonement. See, that, that, that goat that had the sins of the people, that scapegoat, would be led out into the wilderness, and then it would be set free. Well, every once in a while, you know what would happen? It would come wandering back into the city a few weeks later with all their sins. That's not something you want to happen. So somewhere along the way, we're not sure exactly when, but by Jesus' day, this was true. Somewhere along the way, the guy that took the goat out into the wilderness, he was instructed Throw it off a cliff. We don't want it coming back. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but, but a few years ago here at Trinity, we changed a word in the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed that I said growing up, and maybe some of you did too, said, I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. That's the word we used to use. But do you know why we stopped using the word remission and started using the word forgiveness? If you have cancer that's in remission, does that mean it's gone forever and will never come back? Not necessarily. And we didn't want to give anybody the impression in the Nicene Creed that we thought, well, your sins are gone for now, but they might come wandering back into the city someday, right? We wanted you to know your sins are gone. You are forgiven. You have been set free. Folks, the message of the Day of Atonement for the people, for the children of Israel was someday, someday your sins are going to be gone for good. Someday you're not going to have to do this ritual every year, placing your sins on the head of a goat and leading them off into the wilderness, because someday God is going to provide for you the goat. Somebody pointed out to me after the service this morning in sports, what's the goat now? The greatest of all time, right? Someday God is going to provide that goat for you. It's going to be Jesus, and he will take your sins forever. They'll be gone. They're never coming back. You don't have to do this anymore because Jesus has set us free. My first call as a pastor was to St. Andrews in Park Ridge, Illinois. And uh, uh, my, my office there was near the worship center. And uh, one of the things I liked was um, every Wednesday, the kindergartners would process down and, uh, and they would go to chapel in the, in the worship center. And as they were processing down, they would sing. So I would, I would love it. I'd be sitting in my office on a Wednesday morning, and all of a sudden I'd hear these beautiful children's voices like we heard earlier in the service today of, of these kids coming down uh, to go to chapel. And one morning they were singing this. Jesus loves me when I'm good, when I do the things I should. Jesus loves me when I'm bad, even though it makes him sad. And I came running out of my office. And I went, no! I don't think the kindergarten teacher liked me very much that morning. But I said, no, that's not the gospel. Your sins, kids, don't make Jesus sad. Maybe they did 2,000 years ago when he took them when he was on the cross. But not anymore. Your sins are gone. 
Though they were as scarlet, they are white as snow. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has removed your transgressions from you. There is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, folks, you can't make Jesus sad. There's nothing you can do to make him sad. You're forgiven. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He only sees the perfect life of his son Jesus, the true scapegoat who took our sins for us. Amen.